Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond. The Colts agree to terms with running back Marlon Mack, bringing Mack back on a two-year contract. I could not be more ecstatic for Marlon because the year he had coming off 1,000 yards in 2019 really carried the Colts offense, Jacoby Brissett. At quarterback, we went as far as Marlon Mack and the offensive line carried us in 2019 to our seven wins. Mack was really brilliant at times. You think about that Kansas City Chiefs game playing basically both sides of the ball for the Colts because our offense was our defense, sidelining Patrick Mahomes and doing that by running the ball for over 200 yards as an offense on Sunday Night Football against Kansas City. So Marlon Mack, a really big part of this team in 2017, a little bit as a rookie, and then 18 and 19, he was a huge part of this team, 1,000 yards in 2019. Going into last year, we're looking at Marlon Mack as the number one, Jonathan Taylor as the number two. Unfortunately, Mack goes down week one with the torn Achilles. Taylor kind of becomes the guy, but it took him about 10 weeks to really understand the NFL game, to have the patience, to have the vision, did a great job all year long, except the one fumble against Baltimore in ball security, catching the ball out of the backfield. Jonathan Taylor, by the end of the season, the final five, six weeks of the year, he was an elite running back in the National Football League. So it was looking like with Hines and Hines' improvement between the tackles and Jonathan Taylor being a top three to five running back in the league by the end of the season throughout the month of December. And then you also have Jordan Wilkins. It was looking like, there might not be a reason. Financially, it might not make sense to bring Marlon Mack back. And we all heard Ballard in his postseason press conference talking about Mack and his relationship and how he loves everything about him. But we're going to have to wait and see because of the position, because of the depth we already have, and because Marlon Mack's coming off a devastating injury. When you're a player who needs to be elusive and needs to be able to cut to tear your Achilles, it's a big-time injury. And it's an injury that a lot of guys... Don't come back from it. Could be a career ender. And of course, you look at this contract, it's one year, two million. So there's not a lot invested there, but you bring back a locker room guy, a big part of this team in 2018, 2019, a guy the locker room absolutely adores, and a guy you really want to root for. You want Mac to come back. You want him to be healthy. You want him to not split carries, because I think at this point, Jonathan Taylor is going to take the bulk of the carries regardless of Marlon Mack's health heading into the 2021 season. But the reports right now are that Mack is going to be ready by camp to be on the practice field and hopefully ready to play in September. And you never know what the timetable of an Achilles because an Achilles tendon could be 12 to 14 months. And he tore it week one, which means you might not get back to the practice field until September of next season. So that also played a factor in his free agency. But it looks like he'll be back on the practice field in August. And I can't wait to see him get back out there. One of my favorite players, one of Jason's favorite players, and I know he's a fan favorite for a bunch of you guys out there. Mac does it the right way on and off the field, unfortunately. And it's not just the Achilles. Injuries have been problematic for Mac throughout the course of his career, 2017, 18. And he's always had the injury bug. And at that position, it makes sense. The running back position, and that's why you don't really see these guys get paid. And then you look at this deal, and it's one year, $2 million. So there was a bunch of factors there, how we got to this point. And I'm happy we got here because the harsh reality of the injury in September was reality. That happened in September. We got to the point we're at now. 
If I could go back and change that and keep Mac healthy, even if that means losing him right now and him going out and getting a three-year deal over $20 million and getting paid, I'd rather have that happen for the player. You never want to see injuries, and you want to see these guys make as much money as possible. But going based off the injury, which was the harsh reality of what happened in September, looking at the market and the position he is, I think all parties should be pretty happy with this deal. And Let's hope Matt goes out there this year because I don't think he'd be back again next year on another contract regardless of what happens. But hopefully he comes out, he's healthy, he has a monster season behind Jonathan Taylor, and you're going to have Taylor pounding and pounding and pounding. And he's going to open up a lot for Marlon Mack because you think about Mack, the last time he was healthy, he was a 1,000-yard running back. And now here we are, a year plus later, two years later, he's going to be coming out. He's going to have fresh legs. Hopefully he has the elusiveness. Hopefully he has that cutback ability. And then next year in 2022, we see him go out and get paid by another team. I don't think that contract will be in Indianapolis. Of course, you never know, so we'll see what happens. But as far as this year goes, happy to have Marlon back, one of my favorite players on this team, and the best position group on this roster, in my opinion, top to bottom. Because you look at Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, you have two 1,000-plus yard running backs. Taylor, I think this year, is going to be a top five guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he led the league in rushing. Then you have Mack, depending on his health, could be a 1,000-yard guy. Naheem Hines and his ability to make guys miss in space and on top of it he's a great punt returner and he could play a flex kind of role where you could line him up in the slot you could put him out wide you could do so many different things with Hines so he brings that electric elusiveness to the field and then Jordan Wilkins in my opinion he's as good of a fourth running back as you'll find in the National Football League and they're running behind one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League pending the left tackle obviously one of the biggest holes we have right now is Anthony Costanza retiring and not having a left tackle for the 2021 season, whether that be replaced sometime this week, next week in free agency in the 2021 NFL draft, or if we have to start playing musical chairs, moving Braden Smith over to left tackle, we'll see what happens at that spot. But as far as the four guys returning, we're comfortable with them on the offensive line and the four running backs, one of the best backfields, if not the best backfield in the National Football League in Indianapolis. As far as the other news goes, not a lot of activity. We lose Danico Autry. So Autry, a guy the Colts wanted back, a guy the Colts were talking to right up until he signed with the Tennessee Titans. The Colts had a chance to match, and the Titans just outbid the Colts for Danico Autry. But they were working on a deal, unfortunately not able to get a deal done. Autry now off to a division rival. They also had Bud Dupree, so the Titans got better. They added to their pass rush. Unfortunately, we have not added to our pass rush. Houston's a free agent. It doesn't look like he'll be back. Autry now gone. Al-Qadi Muhammad also an unrestricted free agent. So our end spots right now have a lot of question marks, have a lot of holes. And it was already a position of need for the Colts to begin with coming into the offseason and going back to last year, a weak spot on our defense. So the defensive end position, definitely a position of need for the Colts. And there were some guys available, some guys the Colts were rumored to have interest in, some guys the Colts talked to, some guys the Colts negotiated with. And so far, up until this point, the recording of this podcast, the Colts have not been able to work out a deal with an edge rusher. They've been interested in guys. They've talked to guys. You look at Carl Lawson. They were interested. 
but the price tag just got too high. Same thing with J.J. Watt. They were interested in Watt. There was negotiations with Watt, but the price from Arizona was just too lofty for the Colts. And I know a lot of fans are getting antsy. They're getting frustrated. They want Ballard to make moves. They want to spend money in free agency. And yes, we have contracts coming up, but could we still afford to go out there and spend money in free agency? Yes. There's still a lot of cap space. We have cap space this year. We have cap space next year. The TV deal coming in next year. There's definitely room to make moves. I understand that. I think everybody understands that. But there's a couple of factors. One, it's just not Ballard's MO. That's not how Ballard conducts business. He's always been a low-risk, high-reward signing type of general manager. He likes the... Eric Ebron type deals, the Justin Houston type deals, the Danico Autry type deals. That's been his bread and butter via free agency. But you go back to last year, he made a blockbuster trade. He traded a first round pick for DeForest Buckner because it was a blue chip player. He saw a top three defensive tackle who he could get at 26 years old, he could pay right away, and he spent money on somebody else's player in addition to a first-round pick. So Ballard's not all draft, no trade. He also just traded for a quarterback in Carson Wentz. So he's willing to make trades. He's willing to sign free agents. He's willing to spend money like with the Forrest Buckner, but it has to be the right guy. And when you look at this free agent class, and some of the guys he liked did not even hit the open market. Everybody's complaining that we didn't make a push for Romeo Aquara with the Detroit Lions, but he was re-signed when Ian Rappaport tweeted that Aquara re-signed with the Lions. It was 12.13 p.m. on Monday. Legal tampering begins at 12 o'clock on Monday. So 13 minutes. Ballard and every other team would have only had 13 minutes and that's not including the time that it took Ian Rappaport to answer the phone or to read the text and to type the tweet and to send the tweet. So, in my opinion, Romeo agreed to that deal with the Detroit Lions prior to 12.13, probably prior to 11.59 a.m., which means there was no time to tamper. There was no time to reach out to his camp, to talk to his agent, to talk to him. There was no time for any of that. He was going back to Detroit. Now, there's other guys that hit the market. There's other guys the Colts had an opportunity to talk to or did talk to, like Carl Lawson. But then Lawson made $15 million per year, and Ballard was not going to go that high. And you could say, well, why wouldn't he go that high? Well, Carl Lawson just got A-player money. But if Ballard grades him out as a B-level player, why would you pay a B-level player A-level player money? When you could wait a week and you could get a B-level player at a B-level player money. Even if you don't think that guy's a B-level player yet, if Ballard has him graded out and has the money on par with his evaluation of that player, I'll trust that. We've seen that in the past with Autry. We've seen that in the past with Houston, with Eric Ebron, with some of the low-risk, high-reward free agent signings that Chris Ballard's made in Indianapolis. That's how he's conducted business. And up until this point, he's done a really good job. And it's not just been those guys, because when you look at the blue chip guys, when you look at Ballard saying, okay, I'm going to open up the checkbook and I'm going to spend big time money. He did it last year with the Forrest Buckner. So he'll do it if the right guy is available, but he doesn't have 
Lawson or some of the guys that were available in the class, in the echelon of the $15 million a year guys. He doesn't have him in the same ballpark as, let's say, T.J. Watt or Chase Young, even though I know Chase Young's only going into his second year, but we all saw how good he was last year. And then J.J. Watt, we were in on J.J. Watt, but it's not 2016 J.J. Watt. It's not 2013 J.J. Watt. It's 2021 J.J. Watt. So we were interested. We had our number. We had our price, as Ballard has for every player. Whether you're an in-house free agent or you're a free agent from one of the other 31 teams, he has a number. And the Cardinals went well above and beyond his number. So he's not going to match it for an injury-prone 32-year-old pass rusher who's a first Ballard Hall of Famer, but Ballard doesn't like to pay guys for what they did. Buckner came to Indianapolis last year, and he was better than he was the previous season in San Francisco. He got better. And Ballard paid him to come here and be better and to be an all-pro and to hopefully go on to have a Hall of Fame career. So it's not just about Leonard and Nelson and growing all of your own. Ballard will spend money. Ballard will make a trade if it benefits the team and he sees a player that's worth it. And also, for all the Cole fans complaining, I see a lot of people acting like the world is going to end, acting like this is it. If you go back to 2019, Colt fans, the dream scenario, the dream offseason was Landon Collins, Le'Veon Bell. And I understand not every Colt fan wanted Le'Veon Bell. It was very split. The media really wanted to push the Colts to Le'Veon Bell. But it was Le'Veon Bell. It was Landon Collins. It was C.J. Mosley. And here we are two years later, and Chris Ballard was right about staying away from each and every one of those three players. Everybody wanted Landon Collins. The world was ending when we didn't sign Landon Collins in 2019. And I'm not sure if this is true or not, but going based off memory, I don't remember the Colts even being interested in Landon Collins at that price tag. Collins ends up signing a six-year, $84 million contract with Washington. Since he signed that contract in 2019, Landon Collins has made 22 starts. He has one interception, and he has forced... Zero fumbles. A box safety, Landon Collins, has forced zero fumbles. Since that signing, we drafted Kari Willis in the fourth round. 23 starts, two picks, double Collins, and a forced fumble. Then this past year, Julian Blackman in the third round. 14 starts, two picks, double Collins, and a forced fumble. Both guys statistically more productive than Landon Collins. And Collins was really good with the Giants. He has been a bust in Washington. He has not lived up to that contract. And you could say the same about the other two guys that a lot of Colt fans wanted as well. C.J. Mosley, five years, $85 million, two games. That is correct. He played two games for the Jets in 2019, zero games last year in 2020. C.J. Mosley, five years, $85 million has played two games, two years into that five-year contract. And then Le'Veon Bell, and also the Jets signed both C.J. Mosley and Le'Veon Bell. And guess who they signed this week? Oh, yeah, Carl Lawson. So the Jets, a team that continuously pays and overpays for other teams' players, players that other teams let go as Chris Ballard sits back and waits, and waits for the discount. Le'Veon Bell, four years, 
$52.5 million, 17 games with the Jets, 863 rushing yards, averaging 3.3 yards per carry, three rushing touchdowns, and has since been released. You want to compare that to Jonathan Taylor? Be my guest. Or compare it to Marlon Mack? Be my guest. C.J. Mosley? Compare it to Bobby Okereke? Compare it to whoever you want. Chris Ballard stayed away from Landon Collins. He stayed away from C.J. Mosley. He stayed away from Le'Veon Bell. And that's not just saying avoid free agency, go out and draft. That's part of it. Part of it is Ballard's ability to draft and being able to go out and get an edge rusher this year in the draft or a wide receiver this year in the draft. It also means that this first wave of free agency, you're not getting the bet. Like Landon Collins at that time or Le'Veon Bell at that time or C.J. Mosley at that time were not the best safety running back linebacker. They were the best at their position to become available. So all of a sudden you're paying them like they're the best. But they weren't the best. They were just the best available where you don't have to trade to get them. They were proving guys available via free agency. And Ballard's not going to pay a B-level player A-level money. He's not going to pay a player with tread on the tires or a player who was great five, six years ago like they're still that great today. That's just not how he rocks. And we know that. He's been here since 2017. We know Chris Ballard by this point. We know his tendencies. We know what he likes. We know what he doesn't like. And then we also know if the right guy's there and he could strike like he did last year with DeForest Buckner, he will strike. So I want everybody to stop acting like the world is ending because Ballard doesn't sign Lawson or a free agent that you wanted. Because the chances are a lot of these first wave free agencies, a lot of the teams that win free agency don't do so hot during the season. And then they do even worse two, three, four years down the road when those contracts continue to age like milk. And the last time the Colts were in that boat in 2015, we brought in Frank Gore. We brought in Trent Cole. We brought in Andre Johnson. How did that work out for the Colts? When you pay guys who were great but are no longer great, it's going to backfire. When you're paying them money that they earned in the past, now in the present, and now moving forward into the future. So we got to chill as a fan base you gotta relax you gotta pump the brakes i see a lot of hot takes a lot of the world is ending kind of stuff on twitter and we gotta just relax and also and some people mocked jason and myself for this and this is not anything i don't know if this has legs i don't know if there's any truth to this but last year with covid teams lost money so can Jim Irsay afford to max out the cap every year as a billionaire owner of an NFL team? Yes. But when you look at the MLB, a sport that doesn't have a salary cap, you could even look at a guy like Steve Cohen who just bought the Mets. He has $13, $15, 16000000000 dollars. He's a multi-billionaire. He has, I think, somewhere from 13 to $17 billion at his disposal. And he got outbid for multiple players this offseason. And they don't even have a salary cap in the MLB. And he wasn't even an owner last year where he could have lost money owning a baseball team. So I know Ursay likes to win, loves to win, wants to win, wants to spend money. He's never been cheap, and I'm not suggesting that he is cheap. 
But it is a business at the end of the day because I see a lot of people talking about the cap. The cap is fine. We could sign Leonard. We could sign Nelson. We could sign Smith. And we'll still have cap space. And next year's TV contract is only going to expand the salary cap. And there are other guys like Hines and Okariki and guys that we want to bring back. We want to resign in the coming years in 2022, 2023, down the road for sure. But just in terms like financially speaking, and this does not, again, I really want to drive home the point. This does not mean Ursay can't afford it or he's being cheap, but owners don't like losing money. And Jim Ursay, his business is the Colts. His dad had heating and air conditioning companies and stuff way back when, but when he bought the Colts, the Ursay family became a football family and their business, him, his daughters, the whole family, their business is the Indianapolis Colts. This is not the Atlanta Falcons where the owner is the co-founder of Home Depot and he has that second stream of income and source of income via Home Depot or Woody and Chris Johnson with the Jets and Johnson and Johnson and all the products, the baby powder and all the stuff that they produce and that stream of income. So Ursay is the Colts owner. The Colts are Ursay's business and businessmen do not like losing money. Nobody likes losing money. Businessmen, doesn't matter if they're billionaires or trillionaires or whatever. They don't like losing money because they're human beings and it's a game and it's part of the business world. You don't want to lose money. You always want a return on your investment. You look at last year, we paid about $50 million at the quarterback position. We had 2,000 fans at our game. So you lose ticket sales, you lose concession sales, you lose apparel sales you're not selling as many jerseys or hats or anything at the game so you're losing a lot of revenue there and the league lost money i think a lot of teams lost money i think the colts lost money and now you want to recoup some of that money and next year you're going to recoup it with the new tv deal so i would not be surprised if ballard had less money to spend not because of the cap but because of the liquid money because of the actual cash flow of the Colts and Ursay trying to recoup some of his losses from last year. Because with the cap going up next year, it makes sense to get Leonard and Smith right now under contract at a discounted price. You re-sign Leonard now, you re-sign Smith now, and by now I mean between now and September 1st. Get that done this offseason before we get to week one of 2021. So you get those deals done before the cap inflates and those deals will look like steals down the road for an all-pro linebacker and a Pro Bowl caliber, all-pro caliber right tackle who might eventually move to left tackle and then it's a double steal. One, because of the cap. Two, because of the position switch. If he were to go over to left tackle, then all of a sudden he becomes more valuable to the team playing a more premier position on the offense. So I'm not saying Ursay doesn't have the liquid cash, the assets, the money available at his disposal, but if he wants to recoup that money and the losses he suffered last year in 2020 paying guys like Leonard and Smith with this year's cash what you have at your disposal this year that you're willing to spend then hitting the second tier third tier fourth tier free agents going in crushing the draft 
maybe trading back from 21, accumulating more picks, addressing more needs, getting best players available, whatever Ballard's going to do in the draft. We know he's going to kill it because he kills it each and every year. Then next year, the cap goes up. Ursay recoups the money he lost with the new TV deal. And then we go into next year with more money, more cash flow, Leonard under contract, Smith under contract, and a bigger cap. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know if that's actually what's going on here. And that could just be one big conspiracy that I'm throwing out there. Only because this is how Ballard and the Colts have worked in the past. But who knows? Maybe they met with the cap guy and they changed some things and they moved some things around and they realized the finances of the Colts were not where Ursay wanted them to be coming off the COVID year where every owner in the league, in my opinion, I think every owner lost money last year. So I think it's something to think about food for thought at the end of the day. I still think the Colts are going to spend in the upcoming days. It just won't be the big sexy names, which you could also argue there were no big sexy names. I didn't see TJ Watt hit the market. I didn't see, First team all pros hit the market. The guys who hit the market, in Ballard's opinion, might have been B level players or C plus level players. Even if they're B plus, if they're not A's, Ballard's not going to want to spend A money. He's just not going to do it. That's not his philosophy. Hasn't been since 2017. Don't know why it would change now. I know they were interested in big names, but I don't think the big names were worth the money. $15 million for this guy, $16 million for that guy. And when you look at 2019 with Collins and Bell and Mosley, Ballard was right. I think he's going to be right this time around as well. Ballard's a hell of a lot smarter than us, but I know as fans, we're reactionary. We want every guy. We want big names. We want to bring them in. We want to have the best team as possible. We want to spend a lot of money. We want to win free agency. But guess what? The team that wins free agency, the team that wins in March, very, very rarely wins September through December, and they hardly ever win in January, and most importantly, February. So I still have a lot of faith in Chris Ballard. And also I want to say this. I have a lot of faith in Chris Ballard. I know he'll crush the draft. I know he's going to hit on a lot of these second tier, third tier free agents over the next couple of days. But it's no secret that there are holes. Our left tackle retires. Yes, we replaced the quarterback. Edge is a huge need on this team. In addition to left tackle, corner, we have needs. And Ballard doesn't matter how we got here, whether it be a retirement or a guy not being worth the money. We are in a hole right now. This roster is incomplete. And yes, we have multiple weeks of free agency. Yes, we have a draft. Yes, we have opportunities to make trades, of course. And I have all the faith in the world in Chris Ballard. But Ballard definitely has his work cut out for him. I think that is a fact. I think Ballard would admit it that this roster is nowhere near where he wants it to be, but we still have in-house guys that are out there that we're working on like Xavier Rhodes that we want to bring back. There's still good free agent options out there. Knowing Ballard, he's going to find discounts in free agency where we're all going to shrug, say, eh, and then all of a sudden in the middle of November, we're going to be voting them to the Pro Bowl and they're going to be Great additions to this team because that's just kind of the way Ballard's been operating the last few years. And then, of course, the draft as well, which we all know he's going to crush. But he definitely has his work cut out for him. I think he knows it. I think he's going to go out this week, make some second-tier, third-tier signings, 
bringing guys where we say, eh, and then they turn out to be Pro Bowl caliber players in December. So I have all the faith in the world in Chris Ballard, but that does not dismiss the fact that we have legitimate holes and concerns right now with this roster. So he's going to have to patch some things up. He's going to have to work his magic. I know he's capable of it, but he's going to have to do it, and then he's going to have to nail this draft. So he's betting on himself in a lot of ways. Ursay's betting on him in a lot of ways. And hopefully over the next couple of days we jump back on the podcast. We have more news. We have more signings in addition to bringing Marlon Mack back on the one-year $2 million deal. Very happy for Mack. Excited to have him back. And I hope he's able to get 100% healthy so we can finally see what we were all craving last year, that one-two punch of Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor this year in Indianapolis behind one of the best offensive lines in the National Football League pending the offensive tackle spot, that left tackle spot with the retirement of Anthony Costanzo. So we'll be back this week with more free agent news as the Colts begin to start signing guys, bringing in new pieces, and hopefully filling some of these holes that we have on the roster right here on the For the Culture Podcast.